Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Campus Waterfowl Podcast. My name is Derek Christians, and today I have Thor Nelson. Thor, how's it going today? Not too bad. Uh, had a little bit of a dismal morning goose hunting earlier today, but, you know, that's it's kind of the way it goes sometimes. But other than that, yeah, no, it's going great. Talk a little bit more about the goose hunt. What all, what all went down this morning? Oh, it was just, I was hunting by me, myself, and I, the old, as I like to call it, one-man wrecking crew. I really like hunting by myself because you get to prove whether or not, you know, you really get to see how good you are because the only person that you can blame for messing up is yourself. So the decoy spread, the calling, the shots, everything is on you. And uh, this morning I was hunting a little loaf pasture that I got permission to up up here in Bemidji. And uh, there was probably only about, you know, two dozen birds using it. So it's nothing crazy. But for one guy, you could I was hoping to scratch out a couple. And uh, um, only had one bird decoy and... Yeah, it's uh, lived to see another day, and that's that's. We'll just leave it at that. So, still, still pretty rusty in this first week of the early goose season. Haven't really, uh, haven't really became a lethal cold-blooded killer yet. Still loading. Always takes a couple of hunts before you actually get dialed in. So you got time. Yeah, yeah. I was I was able to blame the gun this morning instead of the user. But there we so go. That'll yeah. make me feel a little bit better about myself. Yeah. <laughs> for everyone listening uh i had the opportunity to hunt with thor actually last season during our season two collegiate waterfowl tour we went up to bemidji state and uh, hunted some divers with the guys uh, but thor why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself and uh, what you what you're doing up in bemidji yeah so um i am from a small town in southern minnesota um, Nicolette is my hometown. The closest large town is going to be Mankato for those of you that are somewhat familiar with the state. Uh, and I grew up on the shores of Swan Lake, which is actually the largest prairie pothole in North America. So I got really, really, really lucky that my family has had land on there for over 150 years. Um, so I grew up hunting there. That's where I got my passion for waterfowling and mostly just killed Canada geese and puddle ducks. The amount of diver ducks that I probably killed in my, you know, high school years and earlier, I could count on one hand. So there was not a whole lot of diver hunting being done, mostly, yeah, just wood ducks, teal, mallards, and like I said, Canadian geese. Um, and I went to Bemidji State University then for my, for my collegiate career, and I am entering my senior year right now, just started my senior year last week, and I'm majoring in mass communications. Um, and yeah, I have really, really set a, you know, I've had a really good time up here so far. It's a, a lot different, it's a lot different than back home. So I had a lot of adjusting to do when I first came up here, especially in just, just style of hunting. I had to really get used to hunting bigger water and hunting divers over puddlers for the most part so and Bemidji is a really diverse area you can do a lot of both it just depends on what you want to do so if you drive west of town you can do a lot more puddle duck and Canadian goose field hunting and smaller prairie pothole hunting and then if you drive east of town that's where some of the bigger lakes lie like uh, Lake Winnebagashish, Leech Lake and those lakes are better known for their diver duck hunting so I've done a little bit of both over the last few years and I've grown to love all of it, and yeah, pretty much a jack of all trades when it comes to Minnesota duck hunting. What drew you to Bemidji in the first place? Honestly, it was just a, uh, it was just a needle in a haystack kind of deal. Where, uh, well, I shouldn't say needle in a haystack. It was just luck of the draw. It was the first stop on a little college tour that my mom had mapped out. Where we were going to go visit 
like five colleges in one week. I'm sure plenty of people have done similar things. And Bemidji was the first stop on the list and went there. And it just, it was weird. But yeah, on tour, it just felt like home. Felt like a very, very nice place where I could settle down and, and, you know, have a good, have a good time going to college there. And I, I was, I made my decision before the tour was even over and here I am. And what's been your favorite part kind of living in Bemidji now for the last few years? Just the amount of outdoor opportunities that you have. Um, me, myself, I, you know, I'm a rounded outdoorsman. I do waterfowling, bow hunting for deer, bow hunting and shotgun hunting for turkeys, um, dabble in a little bit of grouse hunting and then do a lot of open water and ice fishing. So you pretty much have something to do at any time of the season up here in Bemidji. And that's was probably one of the biggest draws for me is that I have, I can always constantly stay busy and constantly be in the outdoors and immersed in the outdoors. So that was the biggest draw for me. And in this episode, we're definitely going to be talking a little bit more about diver hunting. And then also, I think we're going to be touching on some ice fishing as well, because uh, there's a lot of folks out there. I think they would go ice fishing if it wasn't so cold. So it's not too bad or, once, once you actually right, do it. Right. Or some of the boys that I met down at third term this year, they, they thought I was crazy for stepping out foot on the ice and driving my truck on frozen lakes. They, they didn't believe that I was telling the truth, but... Yes, small municipalities get set up on a lot of the lakes up here, that's for sure. Yes, and and what about, like you kind of touched on it uh, a little bit earlier, but Bemidji as a whole is definitely a a unique place. Uh, But how big is Bemidji, and then also like how many students are on campus there? So Bemidji as a town is only about 16,000 people, so not that big at all. On-campus students, we have roughly just under 4,500, I believe, or just over 4,000, so about 1,000 per class. So again, pretty small. Um, for athletics, we run Division Two. For most of our sports besides hockey, we have Division One. So I know everybody, you know, Minnesota is the state of hockey, so we have the most Division One schools in the state. Bemidji State Beavers is one of those teams, so love going and watching the hockey games. That's definitely a big part of the culture up here. Um, but yeah, it's it's not a huge town, but it has a lot of stuff that bigger towns have because up here in northern Minnesota, um, a lot of stuff is spread out, you know, and there's not a whole lot of uh, amenities for a lot of these smaller towns. So Bemidji caters to most of the towns that are within a 60 mile radius with having a lot of the more big box stores and whatnot for folks to travel through. So it sees a lot of traffic, sees a lot of um, people and stuff shuffling through. Uh, and it's a it's a pretty busy town for for what it is. And, and I assume it's pretty common finding uh, other outdoorsmen on campus as well, wearing camo and things like that. Oh, 100%, 100%. And that's one thing that Bemidji State does really nice is they catered outdoorsmen by having a on-campus firearm storage facility along with also an on-campus uh, small game cleaning room. So uh, in between the dorm rooms, yeah, it's where you're in, in Walnut Hall to be specific. That is where the firearm firearm storage is at so yeah you each get you get, a, get your little gun locker your freshman year when you first show up you don't got a place to keep your gun better than keep it in your truck that's for sure um and that's a really nice facility where the humidity is modified and everything and monitored and they have cleaning tables and everything in there for your guns to take them all apart 
Uh, and then they also have the small game cleaning room. Emphasis on the small game. You can't bring deer bears in there. I know some people have tried that, and that's <laughs> why it's called the small game cleaning room. But, yeah, that's always packed typically on duck opener, fishing opener. There's always guys in there with fish, geese, ducks, grouse, all sorts of stuff. So it definitely caters to outdoorsmen, and uh, it, it embraces it for sure. I got a couple follow-up questions on both of those amenities that BSU offers. Um First being the gun lockers, what about like early mornings being a waterfowler? You're out checking your gun out. Do they cater to that or how does that yep, work? It's open. It's open 24 hours. Gotcha. So the public, the public safety, the on-campus public safety um, main room or their headquarters is in the same building there. So you just walk in there. They have a key to give you. You just trade your student ID for the key. Walk in there, get your gun, get your ammo if you keep it in there. And then you turn the key back in, you get your ID back, and then you go about your hunt, and you do the same thing when you return. And then on the small game cleaning stations, do you guys ever get a lot of, like, just people curious, like, kind of poking their heads in through the doors, just seeing what you guys are doing or cleaning a lot of the times, like people that aren't familiar with hunting or anything like that? Typically not. Yeah. Uh, the most the most curious looks or anything that you're going to get is when you're walking from, like, your parking lot to the game cleaning room with your with your bag that's where you get the the most looks like i know my freshman year i got a lot of looks in the springtime carrying a turkey over my back through campus a lot of people were kind of uh they were interested in that um and then yeah if you if you go and limit out on geese like early season here in minnesota it's five birds a person so i mean if you're lugging 15 to 20 geese in there you're you know, you're drawing a little bit of attention doing that as well, but um, nobody goes. A lot of people that don't use it don't even know where it's at or that it even mm. exists. So mm-hmm. you'll maybe get some, you'll know, get some funny looks on the sidewalk, but you're never gonna get interrupted during your during your process, or at least I haven't. What about? Do you guys have uh, decoy rentals or anything on campus? I learned this last weekend that South Dakota State actually has decoy rentals. So. As a college, we do not yet. I know as the uh, Ducks Unlimited chapter, we are trying to do that. We're trying to gather a collection of field decoys, water decoys, mojos, all sorts of different stuff that students can basically yeah, sign out to use during the season if they are not able or if they don't have any of those uh, any of those things at their expense any decoys or any gear at their expense so i know that i know that's something that we're uh trying to build as a chapter and hopefully we're able to get that pretty strong by the time i head on out and hopefully it's able to be used by a lot of students let's talk about that as well you're you're heavily involved with the ducks unlimited chapter there on campus um and that's kind of how we met um how has that kind of benefited you with your experience at bemidji state um, it's allowed me to meet a lot, a lot of people because especially, you know, being the president of the organization, you're, you know, you're more or less the face of it in some, some way, shape or form. You're the, the person that people look to when they think about it. Um, so I, you know, I, I've been able to meet so many people and there's so many great people that are on the chapter that have helped me. Um, along the way and we've de- we've built it up from when I started which was essentially nothing it was and like the regional coordinator at the time the regional director at the time Scott Anderson he told me that you know if you essentially hey you want to be president if you know if not the organization's kind of gonna crumble and fall apart because we're not having much for 
recruitment and we're not having much for involvement with students right now. And we, me and a couple other guys, we were able to get it flipped around and we've been able to build it up into something that's uh, definitely a lot better than it was a few years back. COVID was a thorn in the side because um, there was nobody around for a year and a half. And, you know, we have a whole two years worth of recruitment to do now this year. But we're hoping that we're going to have a really good year this year. And I'm very confident that we will. What are, what are uh, some of the things you guys are working on besides the decoy rentals that uh, trying to help students with? Um, I guess, you know, like we, we do different hunts and stuff. So we, we try to have people that are interested, you know, come out and hunt with us. So if, uh, if maybe you're new to the area and you don't know of some places to go, you can come out with us and we'll kind of more or less show you the ropes for some of the more popular ways to hunt in the Bemidji area. Um, we're doing a lot of, we're hopefully going to be having a couple of banquets this year, uh, which one of those is just a strictly BSU, um, banquet. So it's all students, alumni, and faculty are able to attend. So no outside adults or anything like that for the most part. And that really draws a big crowd because then the people that are winning the prizes, you know, your decoys, your blinds, your blind bags, all that stuff, the people that are winning those prizes are mostly students, um, which when you go to a regular DU event, I'm not knocking on old guys, but they have the money to spend to be able to have a better chance of winning those raffle prizes. So how we cater to students with this one, you know, we basically don't let anybody that's not BSU affiliated into the event. So that definitely uh, draws a big crowd among students and that a lot of people will get involved furthermore down the road after that banquet, typically. Awesome. Well, let's pivot here and talk about diver hunting. So yeah. you were introduced to diver hunting going up to Bemidji. How, how was that? Like, what was your first experience with diver hunting oh, up there? My, my first real diver hunting experience, uh, I was with my two current roommates Brody Holm and Ryan Donnell and we were out on Big Winnie and it was I believe it was early November and you know they were and they had gone on a lot of hunts without me earlier that year because we weren't super close but they had gone on a lot of hunts you know and they grew up they're both from Grand Rapids which is just an hour east of Bemidji so they had grown up doing this stuff their whole life and and they had had a good year. And, you know, I, I, chased, I stuck to puddlers more so that year and stuck to my roots and, you know, struggled a little bit. But, you know, still a decent time. But this hunt, yeah, we went out on Big Winnie and it was, oh, man, I think it was maybe 25 degrees, 26 degrees. Describe Big Winnie to the audience. Like, how big right, is so it? Like, so, huge? Oh, I'm going to pull up the exact acreage to um, get the, get some stats on this bad boy. Because, yeah, I mean, it's it's easy to refer to it as Big Winnie, but... Is it just like, a, yeah, big, just a big body of water? Just yeah, it's just basically, just yeah, it's just a very, very big lake. It covers, you know, 88 square miles. So, you know, that's that's quite a bit of water to cover. And around the perimeter of it, you know, it's mostly just one big sand flat. So, and there's, and there's sandbars and different bars that run through the middle of it. But, you know, around your perimeter of your edge, you got a bunch of bulrushes um in two to three feet of water so perfect for standing cover and that's exactly what we did you know we we basically used the boat as just a just a decoy trailer and a trailer for ourselves you know to transport 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 well can't talk transport ourselves out there and uh yeah we parked it in the weeds and then we stood in said weeds in that nice lovely 
you know, 24 degree weather, 25 degree weather, and it was sleeting and it was just colder than sin. And my waders were leaking. I was turning into a human icicle and yeah, they just couldn't get enough of it. And, and, uh, that was my first real taste to diver hunting. And it, I, I did not want to do that again. I was, yeah, like, after that, I was like, nope. I, it's like, that stuff's for crazy people like you guys. You can, you can stick to that. I'll stick to dry fields or, you know, I'll stick to small rivers and marshes. But, um, then over the next couple of years, though, I kind of had a, had a change of heart and realized that it is a really cool thing and it's a really cool, uh, culture in northern Minnesota for being a diver hunter you know it's kind of one of the it's what a lot of blue collar dudes do because you don't need to have a bunch of decoys you don't need to have the best calls and you don't need to you know be on top of your calling game to get these birds in you know it's basically just if you can withstand the conditions you should be able to get some luck and have some birds come in so definitely yep. definitely a total change of pace for what I was used to, you know, I have a lanyard full of molt gear and RNT calls and you just keep that at home. Cause there's, there's no point in doing anything when you're out there. Yeah. I would a hundred percent agree with that. Like I, I, I was just on a single hunt. Well, to like it's a weekend of hunting divers and yeah, night and day difference and yeah, just a whole different animal compared to what we're used to of hunting fields and marshes and things like that. Uh, what about like, and you're not even, hiding that well either because when we were up there in Bemidji if you and I tell the listeners if you guys are wanting to watch when we were up in Bemidji it's all on our YouTube channel as well Uh, I think there's like two or three videos of us actually hunting but like even for hide we were just sitting on rocks on a point that's all we were doing yep you sit on that that normal yeah you either sit you know around some rocks or you sit in some sparse cover um more or less the birds if they want to be there they'll they'll be there and they'll do it and you just got to sit still you don't got to be covered up like you do mallard hunting or goose hunting you you essentially just got to sit still and you know you should be able to trick them which is definitely way different than anything i was used to and you know i couldn't believe it the first couple of times that i went diver hunting these things just you know sucked right in and you're just standing there you know with barely anything in front of you. And then when you really do have a good hide, then, you know, you just, you really mess them up and you're really able to get into them. But yeah, uh, it doesn't take much for cover. It definitely doesn't take mostly just have a backdrop and not be, not be able to be outlined. That's the biggest thing. What about decoy spreads? Like I I always see videos of guys using lines, but when we were up there, uh, you guys were just kind of just throwing them out in front of us. So, yeah, we didn't have any lines rigged up at the time. Uh, we do now. It was, we rigged them up shortly after you left, actually. But, yeah, when 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 you were out there, we essentially just, uh, just ran a giant pod or a giant raft, as they put them. So divers, they're, I like to think of them as the craziest ducks because they like to sit out in the middle of these giant bodies of water amongst these, you know, three- to four-foot rollers just you know diving down and eating deep water vegetation and um insects and stuff like that they're super weird birds super hardy tough tough birds i mean if you, if you're voluntarily landing in the middle of a three foot you know five foot chop sometimes you're you're a psychopath and that's kind of the way i think about these birds is that they're just kind of psycho 
um, especially Golden Eyes, because they are the very last ones to come through. I know that Minnesota, a big thing is, you know, the giant Canadian geese, and they're the last ones to roll through, like Fergus Falls and Rochester in that late December, early January, and they're just, you know, the biggest, biggest birds on the planet, it seems like. But GoldenEye in the same token, they're basically the same thing, but just in duck version. And, I mean, there's sometimes well after the season's closed where there's a little stretch of Mississippi River um, that runes through Bemidji, and you'll see GoldenEyes sitting on that as it stays open into, um, you know, well into December. And it's just like that can't be comfortable or fun, but they do it. So, yeah, they're super tough birds, and... um. Yeah, I guess for, for decoy spreads, a lot of guys run lines because that more or less directs them into the shooting lane or, you know, your um, your shot zone where you where you do want to take them. Or else some guys, you know, just will. And then they'll typically at the end of the line, they'll, you'll have a pod uh, that will or a raft that simulates. Yeah, just a lot of birds being bunched up, feeding together. So what about numbers? What numbers and then even just species variation among uh, inside the decoys? Um, numbers, you know, you can really, we, we like to run it big just to make ourselves visible and stick out from everybody else on the lake. A lot of guys, you know, don't really run that many decoys. We, I think last year we're running typically around eight to 10 dozen floaters a spread. Um, so it can get pretty tedious picking that up, but it's definitely can be a hundred percent worth it too. Um, cause you do stick out from the from the average guy that's out there with maybe only three or four dozen decoys, but that guy can get it done just as easily with that much. Um, and when it comes to species, a lot of divers, um, most guys will run a little bit of everything. We have a little bit of everything. We have canvasback, bluebill, redhead, bufflehead, golden eye, um, ringnecks. We, we run a little bit of everything. And, and what a lot of guys do, especially if you're targeting golden eye up here in Minnesota, which is kind of the, duck of the northland um most guys will just run strictly golden eye decoys or or the decoys that they have over the kill hole are going to be golden eyes because the myth is is that they only landed in amongst each other so is that just golden eyes then or will other species do that um have you noticed you know it, it's i guess i've noticed it really just with golden eyes other than that the other the other species don't really give a crap they just they just want to hang out but the golden eyes they can be kind of stingy um, but then again, other, other times they seem like they don't care at all. So kind of mm-hmm. feel like it's an, I kind of feel like it's just an old wives tale. The old Minnesota legend. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> just like Paul Bunny and Babe the Blue Ox up there. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, what about, so like we're recording this, it's early September. When can you expect, uh, to have, when can you go after divers? So our season opens on September 25th. So the third, uh, what is that? Is it the fourth week of September each year? Yeah. So the fourth weekend in September each year is duck opener here in Minnesota. Um, and right away for, for divers, you know, we do have a, we do have a local population of golden eye and we do have a local population of a lot of diving ducks, you know, uh, definitely ringnecks is another super prominent species in this area. Um, so you can, I mean, opener, you can typically expect to be shooting a few ringnecks, depending on where you're hunting at. Uh, but typically it's around that, you know, early to mid October before you start seeing your canvas back redheads. And then typically late October to early November is when you start seeing golden eye. 
Uh, but last year we had such a wonky migration that we actually were able to hunt Goldeneye for almost a whole month last year. So it was super weird, but they just kind of stuck around instead of coming through in a couple weeks. It was weird. I think that when we were up there. Three. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, you guys were up there. Like, I think you were up fourth week of October, I believe. So typically yeah, that that's, when, right. that, that's when they just start trickling in, but we had already had them for a little while at that point. And we thought the season was going to end early because it was getting so cold. And then after you guys left, it was 75 degrees and dudes were shooting gold nine and t-shirts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was just, yeah. it was just ri- ridiculous. But yeah, that was, that was a weird season last year. That's for sure. How do you even go about scouting divers? You just get on a boat and get on a boat and just start driving around. Yeah, it's what I mean. I guess honestly, I haven't done any diver scouting. I could, I can't say that I have, but buddies that I know, um, yeah, they'll essentially just drive around or go to a lot of public accesses and sit there with some binos and see if they can see a lot of rafts uh, moving around through the middle of lakes and stuff like that. Or else, yeah, you just you just drive around and you see if you kick up a raft or two, and then you're like, okay, well. That's where they're hanging out. I'll hunt near here tomorrow. So, or if you just know a really, really good spot on the lake that you know that at least some birds are going to be at, just because it's such a high traffic area, you'll just hunt there. Um, you don't have to do a lot of scouting for divers. Some guys do, and some guys will argue with me that you have to. But I mean, we were able to kill them with just going out and knowing that these spots were going to be at least decent, and they turned out to be pretty good. So, yeah. Are you guys always on shore then when, when you're hunting, or do you guys uh, ever go in a beaver tail boat or anything like that out in open water? So, so personally, we, we, uh, we do not do any open water hunting. There's only, oh, I think three or four lakes in Minnesota where you can actually legally open water hunt. So it's Lake Superior, Lake of the Woods, Lake Pepin, and then Malax are your four bodies of water where you can like open water hunt. Um, other than that, you know, like a lot of those bigger lakes like Leech and Winnie, a lot of guys wish you could, but the amount of fishing traffic that they have on them during the fall pretty much prohibits that from happening because there'd be a lot of, that'd be a mess mm-hmm. if, if that happened. You'd really like to go open water hunt them a lot of days, but. Um, it's very, very high traffic by fishermen in the fall between muskie and walleye, so you wouldn't want to step on those guys' toes. I remember when we were up there, there was we were on that rocky point, yeah, that's where the fish were, and so there was there was a couple of times where boats would try to come up and cast it, but they were they were still keeping the distance from us, and then they would see us, and then they'd kind of right. tune off. I'm always fascinated just by dive riding and how much different it is compared to what we do. And like mm-hmm. when we were at third term, we got to talk with to Hampton Sydney. And that's all they did. That's some some folks just that's they grew up doing. And us, we grew up in a dry field. So yeah, I, I mean, I wouldn't say it's. I definitely wouldn't say it's my favorite thing to do when it comes to waterfowling. Um, it's definitely a unique thing in Bemidji, and I like to do it. You know, a lot because it is fun. But me myself, I kind of more or less I obsess with the communication between humans and. And wild animals that's why i love turkey hunting so much that's why i love you know goose calling so much is because you're able to get super vocal and get uh you, you know you're able to talk to an animal and you know you, you can't really do that more or less with divers i mean you, you, so with diver hunting if anybody's going to call divers do a thing called a grunt or a growl 
Um, so it just takes any standard mallard call. You don't have to have anything special. Any, I know they sell fancy, you know, special diver calls, but you don't need those. Um, and yeah, this is just essentially what a, um, what a diver sounds like is just a grunt. It sounds like this. And all I'm doing is I'm rolling my tongue. So into the back of the call, this is what it sounds like. So it's, uh, some guys, you know, they'll, they'll do that. I know I always bring my calls and I always do that just cause I, I like calling at birds and I like trying to communicate with birds as much as possible. Never do I really find it super effective. There's a couple of times where I'll do it and they'll turn on a dime, but more often than not, they don't give a crap. If they're not going to do it, they're not going to do it. So you never know. You might get that occasional mallard to come in or that wood duck that we got. Right, right. They <laughs> come that, across. That... Random wood duck, yeah. It's that'll you never know. Crazier things, crazy things happen all the time. What about? I know divers; they always get a bad rap for what they taste like. Uh, what do you guys typically do with your divers? So we, I mean, they don't taste terrible by themselves. Definitely, their diet has to play a little bit to play on what their meat ends up tasting like. You know, they're not corn fed. They're you know they're not eating out of grain fields all the time like mallards are. So they definitely do have a different taste. Uh, and for us, we, we don't really mind it. I don't see that terribly big of a difference. And with waterfowl, for the most part, we end up, you know, either marinating or seasoning our meats enough to can't really tell the difference. And it's all just meat, you know, to us. So um, some of the stuff we do, duck fajitas is always a popular one. Duck stroganoff, I know that we had that in one of our episodes that you guys came up to visit us. Um, duck chili, that's that's easy to mask any, you know, gamey flavor. Uh, fried duck fingers, I know it's just an easy one to do. Um, you can smoke your birds, you can make jerky out of it. One thing we did this off-season is, is off-season we made a bunch of sausage, actually. And uh, so we combined it with some pork and a bunch of spices, and it actually turned out tasting like a chorizo. So it turned out really, really, really good. Um, so we have that as well. It's another thing we do. Uh, and then, yeah, we just got a couple of wild game cookbooks floating around the house, and we'll try some different things, you know, get a little fancier every now and then. But I know a lot of guys, that's why they don't shoot them, is they claim that they taste bad. Well, you're just not cooking it right. You know, you're, it's not going to taste like a mallard. It's not going to taste like a wood duck. It's not this top shelf duck, but if you think it tastes bad, you know, you're, you're just not cooking it right. So there's definitely ways to make it gourmet and there's definitely ways to make it taste good. It's like how it's easy to blame the gun. It's easy to blame the bird. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. So what about, uh, 2021? What are you guys looking forward to this season? Oh man. Um, I guess just it's, it's kind of all coming around to, you know, we've been up here now. This is going to be our fourth, yeah, our fourth season waterfowl hunting up here at Bemidji State for for me and the boys since we're all seniors. And uh, I guess it's kind of all coming full circle that all the work we've put in over the last few years, it's kind of like we have basically the whole season mapped out as to, as to where we're going to go at what times and what we're going to pursue and what we're going to hunt for. Um, and I know over the past few years, we were always scrambling all over the place trying to figure out, you know, what the heck we're going to do and where we're going to go. But, you know, we have a lot of spots. We have a lot of landowners that we're very, very close with. And, 
yeah, more or less, we kind of have a itinerary set out where we're going to be hunting out, you know, west of town for the first half of the season and hunting more puddlers and geese and, and stuff like that. And then second half of the season, we're going to push, push east and head back to the big water and do that. So we're kind of going to, we're kind of going to split it up 50, 50. And, uh, that, that's what the, that's what the season's going to look like for us. So, um, you ever get back home down to Nicollet? Yes, I do. I I do. I typically I, I'll hunt opening weekend up in Bemidji, and then during the early part of that week, so like Monday through Wednesday, I'll go back home and hunt with the the guy um, that introduced me to waterfowling and taught nice. me how to duck and goose hunt. I typically go back home and do that because, you know, I uh, I've got to always go back to the home lake and and hunt there. It's it's tradition to do that. It feels mm-hmm. feels bad. I feel bad when I don't. You know, it feels like a part of me is not getting ripped you know it's getting ripped out or something like that feels just feels good to go home do a lot of students from uh bemidji go back home during the weekends to hunt or do a lot of them try to hunt the area some do some don't i guess the main reason that most people would leave would be just because of opener and stuff like that if they do have like a duck cabin somewhere other than that i would say more so not a lot of people stick around up here like for the average weekends and you know like the, other than like opening weekend and stuff like that i feel like a lot of people try to grind it out up here and learn the area any advice you would give to students uh maybe this is their first uh season at bsu uh, on scouting or anything like that you'd be willing to share mm, man uh maybe not specific to bemidji state but just what's some overall advice you'd give to freshmen so when you get your schedule all mapped out, even though all schedules are already mapped out, this is for, I guess, next year's incoming freshmen. Don't take any morning classes so you can duck hunt every morning. You're most flexible that you're going to be in your academic career as your freshman year. So don't be sitting every morning in a classroom when you can do it in the afternoon after you slay some birds. So that's what I recommend for, for incoming freshmen. For current students at BSU, um, get involved with Ducks Unlimited. Get involved uh just you know on your floors in your communities and and yeah just have fun and make the most of it hunting because it goes by really fast you don't think it does but you know here i am a senior i'm an old guy compared to all these other kids now and uh you know it's it's pretty crazy to think about how i was how i was that guy you know three and four years ago but yeah here i am um and yeah don't be afraid to put on miles you can you can kill birds in any direction from town. That's all I'm going to say. You can kill birds in any direction from town. So don't be afraid to put on miles and go to some places that you think are a little bit weird and uh, abstract because northern Minnesota is a weird place, and you'll find birds in locations that you never thought they would be, but they'll just be there. So, What about, okay, so now we, got, we said we were going to talk about some ice fishing. Talk yeah. ice fishing. What would you, how would you describe ice fishing to people that have never done it before? So for people that have never done it before, it gets cold in Minnesota and a lot of parts of the northern, you know, northern half of the United States. And ice does form on our bodies of water. And not just a little bit, you know, it gets to be quite a, quite a bit. So how, what the Minnesota DNR, Department of Natural Resources, recommends for their ice safety protocol is that four inches of ice you can walk out on. Uh, I believe it's like six to eight inches. Most guys are driving four-wheelers out on the ice. And then 12 inches or more, you can drive a half-ton truck 
out there, believe it or not. So it's pretty crazy. A lot of people don't think that ice is that strong, but it can hold an immense amount of weight and it can, you know, undergo a lot of stress and be just fine. Cause you got to think about it, you know, when it's below 32 degrees all the time, it's always, there's always more being built. There's always cracks being filled. Um, and yeah, it's basically nonstop growing for most of the winter. So, um, you get to have a lot of fishing opportunities up here through that. And yeah, you can either walk or drive out onto almost any body of water and you drill yourself a hole. And then we have different, uh, fish finders up here. A lot of popular ones are Vexilars or like hummingbird helixes that people convert to ice fishing units. And yeah, you just stick a transducer down the hole and it'll read off bottom. And, um, you'll either see suspended, uh, suspended school of fish or, um, if you're in a good area, like a pinch point or something like that, just some fish will typically roll through, like walleye and whatnot, state fish in Minnesota. So that's basically the one that almost everybody goes for. Um, and then, yeah, if you're wealthy enough to have pan optics, you can really get after it. And if you know what that is, you can basically, that's like turning fishing into a video game, more or less. And you can see schools from 100 feet away and be like, oh, I got to go that way. And you walk on over, drill some more holes. But um, yeah, it's definitely a big part of the culture up here is ice fishing. Like I said, small municipalities get set up on a lot of the lakes, like Lake Bemidji, which uh, the campus is actually on. A ton of ice houses get set up there. Um, ice fishing tournaments are a big thing in Minnesota. That happens a lot. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, it's just a lot of fun. It's a good way to spend the winter. Other than walleye, what other, uh, stuff are you guys pulling through the ice up there? So a lot of goose, a lot of dudes, uh, target panfish. Uh, Bemidji's a really good panfish area. A lot of really good sized crappies and bluegills. Um, if you're spearing for pike or just, you know, doing tip up fishing for pike, there's a lot of large ones to be found as well. And then another very popular species or becoming more popular species to fish in the late winter is an eel pout. And a lot of guys don't know what the heck an eel pout is. Um, it's also referred to as a burbot or a ling cod. And it is a freshwater species of cod that is located in the northern part of the uh, continent that reside in deeper, uh, clear water, highly oxygenated lakes. And uh, they're they're goofy looking things. They're long, slimy. Um, they got a couple of barbels underneath their chin. They kind of look like a combination between like a catfish and a snakehead. And they got super, you know, they don't got scales. They just got skin. Um, and they are really really peculiar fish. Um, oh, and how you target them is it's during the late winter, late February into early March. They actually do their spawning underneath the ice so a lot of dudes are going to be fishing for them pre-spawn and you know during the spawn are the best times to fish for them because they're super aggressive and they are nighttime predators for the most part so a lot of guys after they're done with work or after they're done with class are able to go out on a lake when it's when it's dark out and they'll just be roaming around up on top of sand flats looking for anything they can they can find and they'll and a lot of guys use giant glow spoons typically with like a chunk of meat typically we have frozen tulipy or smelt that we have caught the previous year that we throw on the treble hooks and uh yeah you you catch the heck out of them and they're they're awesome to eat they're super fun fighting fish they're super aggressive and uh yeah you you don't find them in southern minnesota it's basically from 
Uh, yeah, basically from the middle of Minnesota on up is where you find your eel pout and then obviously stretching into Canada and whatnot. But um, they're definitely really cool. They're growing in popularity in and amongst fishermen. I know a lot that there is a, you know, a couple tournaments that are starting to be held for them and whatnot. But, yeah, you can actually catch them out here on Lake Bemidji. So they're a ton of fun to catch and something that's unique to the area as well. And then you mentioned earlier, I don't know if the listeners caught it, but uh, spearfishing. Talk about what that is to someone that doesn't quite know what that is. So, so spearing is a super, super old school way of fishing. And it really became popular during the Depression era because you didn't need all these lures and all this line um, and a fish house and fish finder. You, you didn't need all the bells and whistles. All you needed was a spear which a lot of guys either just used a pitchfork head that they welded a metal rod onto, or, you know, you can make your own spears. Uh, a lot of dudes then carve their own decoys as well. And you set up in some shallower water. We're on a, on a lake where there's a lot of Northern Pike and you, you jig your decoy around and Pike will come in to either look at the decoy or attack it. And you, you have a giant, you have a big hole cut out in front of you. Typically, you know, I don't know, like three by three feet. And, uh, yeah, the, and you got a fish house over you, obviously. A dark house is what they're referred to because they are pitch black on the inside, so you can just see the water, and it and the water illuminates the house more than anything. And, uh, yeah, pike will come in, and you dab them with the spear in the back, and it's uh, it was it's very popular amongst older guys. Like I said, became popular in the Depression era, so a lot of older dudes grew up doing it and still do it. Um, and I just think it's a really cool part of the Minnesotan culture. I know that my, um, both my, my grandpa, my grandpa from Minnesota, his brother was super big into spearing. Um, and a lot of my buddies, grandpas, you know, they, they still all go spearing and whatnot. So it's kind of an old man thing and it's, it's cool to do. And pike are delicious. They're an underrated fish. A lot of guys think that they're bad cause they have Y bones in them. But if you just do a little bit of research and figure out how to cut the Y bones out, they are, they're pretty delicious. They're super good. So Pickle, Pickle Northern is another popular thing up there as well. Or I guess yep. Pickle. Yep, Big Old Northern and then muskies. There's a lot of musky nuts up here where dudes just fish for those. Yep, yep. Have you, do you do much uh, musky fishing up there? No, nah, I can't afford it. I, I, put enough I put enough time and money into waterfowling and, and other things where I, yeah, I, I mean, most guys that are musky fishermen that are good musky fishermen are all in on musky fishing and that's you know when you're spending anywhere from you know 40 to 100 dollars per bait your you know rod and reel setup is well over 500 dollars you know you're you're putting in a lot of money into into that kind of stuff because it's a big fish so it takes big big gear to be able to land those so definitely not a poor man's sport like spearing <laughs> takes a lot of time too is, isn't the nickname of a musky is it fish of what fish, how many casts fish of a thousand casts yeah is yeah i mean my only musky fishing experiences i've i think i've only had like we've had two fish follow up next to the boat and that's a big thing with them is they'll follow it up follow your bait up to the boat and that's when you do the figure eight in the water to hopefully trigger a strike but more often than not they just kind of frig off and swim off back into wherever they were wherever they were and whatever they were doing but yeah, they're finicky fish, and they are very selective on when they want to eat. Yeah, once that ice is thick enough, uh, there's plenty of events that get put on on the ice. I know down in Iowa they have like the 
what is it, uh, Iowa Winter Games at in Okaboji, and then even Ducks Unlimited does a big event on the ice. What is it? Have you been fishing to that? Fishing for ducks. Yeah, fishing yes. for ducks. It's on Mille Lacs Lake, and it's a giant fishing tournament, and uh, other other activities go on there as well. But um, yeah, that is a that's a ton of fun to be at. Um, I know that some places will even have like compact car races on the ice. Believe it or not, uh, yeah, snowmobile races are always on. So, well, not always, but most of the time they're on the ice. Um, yeah, there's there's always activities going on out there. I got to make it up there to that uh, fishing for ducks event because yeah, like I, when I was up in Bemidji, I met Scott Anderson and, and yeah, just him describing that they, what do they shovel the DU logo on the ice or something like that? Where Yep. Yep. They plow the, they, they basically plow the duck head onto the ice. I'm, I'm not sure how big it is, but I know it's massive this year. We weren't able to do it cause we had to spread out all of our locations cause of COVID and all that stuff. Yeah. So that was that made it a little bit i mean i shouldn't say less fun but we weren't able to all be together we were at random spots around the lake instead of being all in one giant location so but yeah that's definitely a lot of fun it's a cool cool event well i think that is a great spot to end on thor but uh thank you for jumping on here and uh talking with us on the camps waterfall podcast yeah 100 i appreciate the opportunity derek it's always nice visiting with you and whatnot and uh, I definitely hope to stay in touch and talk with you soon. Thor, what's a good way for everyone to get in contact with you? Uh, get in contact with me. Best way would best definitely be my Instagram, which is uh, Thor's Outdoors. So, yeah, it's just all lowercase, Thor's underscore outdoors. That's going to be my Instagram. So, yeah, if you wanted to follow me on there and shoot me a message if you got any questions or anything to say or if you want to link up for a hunt this fall, I would be more than willing to uh volunteer to show some new bucks around the neighborhood and uh show them how it's done up here so uh definitely be more than happy to do that so if you guys want to get in touch with me instagram is definitely the best way to go cool and i'm also going to plug your youtube channel thor has a a youtube channel Uh, that he didn't share with so (laughs) Uh, we don't don't gotta gotta talk about that you had a couple of turkey hunts on there People, yeah, I know. Want, I'm, I'm, I know people are big into turkey hunting and, and waterfall hunting. So if they want to check out a couple of your hunts, you went. Yeah, where, where were you? Where were you on those I, hunts again? I was in Nebraska for both of those. I, I, my mini turkey tour that I had this spring, I hunted in Texas, Nebraska, and Minnesota, and I was only successful in Texas and Nebraska. These, uh, these Minnesota birds up here, they're they're pretty tough up in northern Minnesota. They're they're new to the area. Um, as in within, I guess I should say like the last 15 years, they've, they've moved in and been introduced in some areas up here in the Northern part of the state. Uh, but they're definitely wary birds. They have a lot of predators up here, wolves, coyotes, bald eagles, great horned owls, black bears, um, raccoons, skunks, all sorts of stuff. So, you know, they're, they're definitely on their toes a little bit more than some other birds in different parts of the different parts of the country. But yeah, I, I only got both my Nebraska birds on film this year. So if you really did want to go check that out, you, you could, they're not great, but um, I'm trying to work on more content, but I'm very not great about that either. So, yeah. We also, Hey, we all start somewhere on this <laughs> learning how to run a camera. And whenever I'm, whenever I'm on these like tour shoots, I still don't know feels like i don't know what i'm doing i'm just there pointing shooting i hope it all comes together at the end once i sit down and start editing (laughs) but awesome well i think that's a good place to end on uh thank you thor again for your time today and uh talking about bemidji diver hunting 
a little bit of ice fishing, and then also lastly, your YouTube channel and turkey hunting. Yeah. <laughs> so, but um, that's going to do it for this episode, everybody. Thank you for tuning into the Campus Waterfowl podcast. Uh, stay up to date on everything that we're doing this hunting season by following our YouTube channel and us on Instagram. Uh, we'll be all across the country for our collegiate waterfowl tour um, and uh, hopefully get to a college near near you guys. So, uh, but yeah, that's going to end it for today and I'll see you guys all in the next one.